Hi, everyone. Welcome to a very special broadcast of the Garf Network. I am Eric. And I'm Matt. And tonight we're having a very special celebration of the 25th anniversary of Tales from the Hood. It's hard to believe it's uh, been 25 years already, but um, we're going to have a couple of special guests on tonight to discuss the film very shortly. But before we get into that, uh, right here at the top, uh, we need to uh, cover a little bit of Garf news. Uh, real quick, uh, thanks for everybody for attending. And uh, Garf's extremely pleased to be partnering tonight with the University of Pittsburgh Honor College, Honors College. And uh, thank you so much, everybody, for attending. Yeah, thank you to Dean Audrey Morell and Rusty Cundiff and all the special guests who are going to attend throughout the evening on behalf of the George A. Romero Foundation and the Garf Network. And this event is also part of our annual Romero Live celebration where we honor George and honor luminaries. And when you folks are done here tonight, please do us a favor, head over to thegarf.org and see what we have working on coming up now during Romero Lives and in the future and to learn more about the foundation and what our message is. And real quick before we get too far along, uh, we actually are upcoming on the 24th. We have a very special uh, Tales from the Dark Side event coming up. Uh, we're going to have John Harrison on board. I uh, can't wait to speak with him. And we also have uh, some other guests uh, planned to, to arrive. Uh, Harry Miller, for one. And uh, really looking forward to that. So join us on the 24th. In addition, the Garf has actually launched a Patreon at the patreon.com slash the Garf official. And our first subscriber content will be launched immediately after the Romero Lives event in October. So look out in early November. Please subscribe. It helps the foundation achieve its goals and keeps the lights on. We would really appreciate the support. And uh, tonight we're simulta uh, simulcasting on uh, our Facebook page, the Garth Facebook page, as well as Twitter, uh, uh, YouTube and Twitch. So uh, tonight we're going to, uh, or if you, we're going to try and get the links into the chat so that you can follow us on your social uh, platform of choice. And don't forget, tonight at 9 o'clock, premiering on Sci-Fi, Tales from the Hood 3 makes its U.S. broadcast debut. So if when you're done here tonight, head over and watch Tales from the Hood 3 with Rusty Cundiff and see what we've been talking about tonight. And with that being said, I'd like to turn the show over to Dean Audrey Morell for our special guest tonight. Hi, Audrey. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's so great to be partnering with uh, George A. Romero Foundation on this amazing event. And it's just my honor to welcome Rusty Cundiff, who uh, was born and raised in, in Pittsburgh, right in, in the same neighborhood where I live to this day, and, uh, and to wish him happy anniversary for the uh, Tales from the Hood one, the iconic film uh, that still remains relevant and powerful to this day. And also congratulations on the third installation. Um, you, you, you know, Rusty from his, uh, writer, acting, directing talents, uh, not only from Tales from the Hood, but also from the Dave Chappelle show. Uh, he's a father with two uh, adorable children and has just had been a tremendous impact in this industry. And so I'm really thrilled to welcome him and to wish him a happy 25th anniversary. Thank you. Uh, I got happy I got anniversary. Three, I, have three, I have three kids. If if you if you only say two, someone's gonna get up. Uh oh, I don't want to get you in trouble tonight. <laughs> Let me not start off bad. She didn't say which two. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I was actually going to say four and see if you would adopt me. If I say four, would you adopt me if I corrected that? And just, uh, oh, sure, sure. Especially since you're an adult and I don't have to pay for it. So. <laughs> right? Right. Well, I was going to say, con you know, congratulations on the 25th anniversary. I watched the film when I was five years old. But since you and I were born in the exact same year, I already told you that I can't get away with that. So what does it feel like 25 years from uh, ago you um, premiered Tales 1? What do you think? I'm I'm shocked that it's 25 years. That's that's how it feels. It's like uh, I can't remember. My my wife and I were talking about something last night, and it, it you know you don't see yourself get old. So when things <laughs> like this happen, it reminds you that yes, you're getting older. <laughs> but you know, I, you, you had to start thinking about the the vignettes and things that were in one, and and how. 25 years later, they're absolutely relevant to the struggles we're going on to today. What do you think? Well, you know, that is the more um, depressing part <laughs> of a 25th anniversary of Tales from the Hood, that literally all of the stories are uh, newsworthy and very current feeling uh, with what we're going through today. So it, it's, uh, you know, uh, I'm grateful that we've had fans for all these years and that the, the film has constantly kind of been in people's head. Uh, it is, you know, somewhat uh, depressing might be the wrong word, but a little sad that we're still dealing with these same issues. But I think, you know, you might think about it that you were pushing the envelope and bringing some of these issues onto the screen in the way you did 25 years ago. And so it might just be the case that 25 years ago, we were afraid to talk about issues of race and violence and brutality and domestic violence. And now 25 years later, they're much more in the everyday conscious, maybe because of social media. So, you know, you didn't have all that 25 years ago and you were still pushing the envelope. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it is interesting to see the progress that has been made um, now versus, uh, I guess, 25 years ago. I mean, when we, when we had test screenings for the film. Uh, we test screened it here in Los Angeles. We test screened it in, in New York. Uh, and, you know, we generally would try, they would pull in a mixed audience. And I know our, our white audience at the time, a majority of them, and especially on the older side, really had big issues, um, particularly with the first uh, episode with the cops and how the cops were portrayed. And so to see today that there are uh, all sorts of people march that have marched alongside Black Lives Matter and are, you know, actively trying to make changes that um, will affect the Black community, the Hispanic community, Brown people, LGBTQ people. It's uh, that's that's the that's the benefit of of today versus versus then. Um, but yeah, there, the, the content of the film at the time definitely got some pushback from some areas and it still gets pushback uh, from, from some fans of horror that are more interested in the, the horror than they are in the social commentary and, and, and don't really appreciate the social commentary quite as much. You know, you've done multiple types of film genre um, and tonight we're, we're focused because of the anniversary a lot on horror. Was it 
was it was it the choice of horror as the genre first and then the content of what you wanted to push or did you want to push this content and you when you did tales one you thought horror has some unique characteristics that allow me to to raise these issues in a way that are going to be really powerful um for me the content was the messages were always important um pretty much everything that i i write on my own has some sort of commentary in it and um so when we began working on uh tales from the hood the, the first one um i had already written a script uh, a, a short one act for the theater called the black horror show uh in quotes black anthropy which uh if, if horror fans know that lycanthropy is the disease of being a werewolf so black anthropy in that case was a disease of being black and we performed that a few times here uh, around los angeles and a few other places and then when Darren, uh, Darren Scott, who is my co-writer on the first film and a producer on the first film, um, said, uh, you know, let's do a let's do a horror film. Let's do a horror anthology. I don't know why he wanted to do a horror anthology. Well, he's a big horror fan. Uh, and I'm a horror fan, but not as much as he is, probably. And so when he came to me with that, I said, I'm interested in it, but it has to have some kind of relevance to it. I don't just want to do scares for the sake of scares. And he he was on board with that. Um, and that was kind of the genesis of how we how we began writing the stories for for the first tales. And, and then it was a matter of just looking at the, the things that were out there, the kind of the social ills that were um, happening uh, in, you know, in our world. And uh, so it was really easy to pick out, you know, some some very specific things. So we're going to talk horror tonight and we're going to talk Tales 1, 2, and then give people a little bit of peek uh, at Tales 3. And I have some really deep academic questions to ask you throughout the evening. And then we're going to throw some jokes in, too, to keep the uh, to keep everybody going. What do you think? How does it sound for an agenda? That sounds fantastic. Let's do it. All right. All right. All right. So maybe we should start off with, you know, we're going to show a couple of clips, not all from one and, and, and two and three, because that would be way past my bedtime. Um, but as as the scene from one, uh, scenes from one are playing, I just have some questions for us to uh, to chat about. And then we'll also invite the audience to, uh, to participate and give you some questions, too. So... Um, so let's talk about um, the, this first scene. This, the, this is the scene with Clarence Williams III, who is extremely scary. Let me just put that out there throughout the throughout the, the film when he turns into the devil and the kids are in the coffin. So, um, uh, which which really, you know, one of the things that about your work is that you think you're going down one direction and then you take a hard left into some place that no one expects that they're gonna that they're gonna do. So. Um, there, there was an interview that someone did that said, within horror, you're always dealing with some version of evil or darkness, right? And so in this scene, you know, that whole notion about violence, especially Black-on-Black -black violence and it from a dark side, that, that was really um, risky back 25 years ago. Talk, talk to me about this idea about, you know, evil and, and oddness and, and what horror allows you to do to be able to put that in the context of things like race and racism and other social issues? Well, okay. So, you know, 
first off, I guess you could say that horror, our day-to-day -day lives have horrific things <laughs> that happen. That's true. Uh, and, and horror is the place to easily deal with some of those some of those day-to-day -day things. So here in this scene, you know, we have, uh, this is at the end of the crazy case scene with the, with the kids who've come to Clarence's house for the, for these drugs, to the funeral home for these drugs. And, you know, we, or I was concerned, I know Darren was too, about uh, inner city gang violence and particularly black kids killing black kids. And, that's where this all kind of came from. But as you look at horror overall, and I think your, your broader question was, how does uh, horror manifest itself or why does it work so well um, dealing with social issues? Uh, it allows you to look at them through a lens that isn't actually of the moment, even though I okay. would, Tales from the Hood is a little more real than maybe some horror is because we're dealing with actual things that exist in society. Um, right. This, uh, <laughs> I, I'm just enjoying this right now because this- I know, I told you he's like, he's majorly scary, let me tell you. This scene right here where Clarence is about to turn into the devil. We, we showed this to some of uh, the producers who came by the set. Uh, we had one of the early avids and they watched this, now the tongue wasn't there yet, but as they were watching this, they said, is Clarence morphing? And he hadn't morphed at all yet, but it was oh, wow. just, the performance was so incredible that they thought he was morphing. That's just a shout out to a brilliant actor right there. Um, but yeah, it, hor horror films and sci-fi films are uniquely able to take on things that happen in our world that can be horrific, murder, uh, violence, sexual abuse, racial problems. These are all horrific things. And they can look at them and they can dissect them or they can present them in a way that maybe you haven't seen before and that hopefully gives you a different view uh, or a different understanding of, of what they are and how they're affecting society. And I think in a way that, you know, horror allows you to suspend reality a little bit that was so powerful in that first clip that it was sort of not the current reality but a future reality and so you're in the present but also in this horrific present and also in this horrific future simultaneously you know that that freedom is probably something that horror also gives you both as a writer and a director wouldn't you think yeah i mean you, you you're you're outside of what reality is though as i said I think oftentimes um, in Tales from the Hood and maybe some other films too, but definitely in Tales, we touch on reality pretty closely. Uh, the, the politicians that we have, the, the cops that we have, they're directly linked to. So it's, you know, it's different than watching The Babadook or something like that, where this is a created thing. You're not gonna run into it uh, on the street you're, you're not going to deal with these things in your own personal life. But what we try to do uh, with tales and what I think the horror slash sci-fi genre allows you to do is play around with very real horrific issues and 
that, that's something that I think is unique to uh, horror and sci-fi. You can do it in drama and you can also do it obviously in comedy. You know, I, I directed Chappelle show. My first film was fear of a black hat. Those also have messages in right. them and it's done through comedy. And it's another way of stepping outside of what the reality is, hopefully just enough that people can kind of digest what you're giving to them um, without it being a, <laughs> a, 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 a sermon. Though some people feel I, I don't know. it's a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> but do, do you get in more, I mean, you wrote for Chappelle, do you get in more trouble in comedy when you try to push those those controversial issues than maybe you would in, in horror? Or is it is it equally risky, at, particularly as a writer and a director? Uh, okay, yeah, it, it, just to be sure, I directed uh, Chappelle, didn't didn't write though, I gave Dave right. some, some things that he did do. But yeah, um, to your point, I would say it's less about it being comedy versus horror and sci-fi, and a little bit more about the fact that when you're writing a, a script for a TV show or a film, you're creating characters. And those characters can behave in a way that uh, is divorced from you as a writer, a director, and even a performer. If I'm, perf if I'm playing a racist, if I'm playing a serial killer, it's not me. Uh, from the comedy side, from the stand-up side, when you come out on stage and you say something, it's connected to you. This is you know, considered to be your thought process. And so, and you're not remote, you're not a character. I mean, unless you're doing Pee Wee Herman or something like that, but people don't look at Dave Chappelle as a character. They don't look at, you know, name a, com a comedian. They're not characters. Right. It's, a, it's their onstage persona, but you assume that it's what they think. So that's a bit more, um, those waters are a little bit choppier to navigate. But um, as far as writing something, you do have the ability to say, okay, well, you know, this is not me. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, years ago when I did Tales, uh, not Tales from the Dead, right? Fear of a Black Hat, uh, I, it, it had an anniversary and I went to a screening of it uh, in Chicago at the Gene Siskel Theater. I, I don't watch my movies over and over. Uh, in fact, once I'm done with them, I, you know, you people, move, you're gone. I'm gone. People quote lines to me and I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? There's your movie. Oh, wait, let me take those out of my questions now. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll tell you about it. But, but so I'm watching this movie at the Gene Siskel Theater, uh, like years away from when it was done. And I realized that there, I think, are one or two instances where Ice Cold as a rapper uh, says the word faggot. And it, it's once it's in the one of the raps, and I think it might show up someplace else. And I was shocked to hear it. And uh, you know, I what I realized though watching it is like, okay, that's ice cold. That's not Rusty Cundiff, and that is what rappers would have said um, at that period in time. Now, were I to go on stage as a stand-up and say that, it would, <laughs> and I used to do stand-up comedy, it would be a much more difficult um, uh, thread to, right. to kind of push through the material. So we got a, another clip that we want to see, but but there's somebody in the green room that I want to bring in who wants to holler at you and wish you a happy anniversary. So okay. why don't we bring bring, bring her? Uh, bring her forward. Can we do that? Hey. All right. Hi, everyone. Hi. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Rusty. 
Okay, why didn't anyone comment on how fly his man cave is? <laughs> <laughs> I saw a little niglet back there. Yeah, the niglet's over there. He's there. I have to give Trina kudos. Did she allow you to decorate this? Trina is his wife, um, world. I want to know if she did this or you did this. This is incredible. She has nothing to do with this. How did I know that? How did I know this was all you? The Lolita poster, the globe in the back, the disco oh, yeah, ball. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And the little niglet. Did you turn yeah, the niglet into a lampshade or is he just resting? Well, he's just, he's just standing there. Lampshade. He just posted up. He's chilling. I love it. Everyone, please <laughs> say hello to our niglet. Um, Thank you, Miss Audrey. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, oh, I'm so thrilled you could be here. Everything that you guys have to say. And one thing I wanted to comment on was that prior to Rusty, um, Rusty and I did a horror um, documentary together for, um, I think, one of the, the horror um, oh, uh, history horror, of horror. 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 Yeah. 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 So prior to Rusty, I perceived that black horror was piggybacking on the white horror of the day. So we had the black, uh, you know, we had the black Frankenstein. We had right. the black this, the black of the creature of the lagoon. We had Blackula, right? We had, <laughs> right? When Rusty came along, he changed the game in a way that George Romero, which is so apropos that um, the foundation is involved because George gave a commentary on zombies and the nature of society based on, you know, how we are a zombie culture that is, you know, and, and I kind of looked at ourselves as being the zombies as people of color. So it was beautiful that a man of color starred in his film, whereas Rusty tackled the black experience, the black diaspora. And he showed the world that we are experiencing horror on a day-to-day -day basis, just existing. So since Rusty, that's all the horror that you see. Every time I see a black woman starring in a horror film, we're not using our imaginations and bringing us, you know, uh, spooky spookies. We're getting beat up. I can name three, you know, black women who have starred in horror films, and all of them are imitating Rusty. Um, his showing us that there is a necessity to stop killing our women all around the board. So every yeah. horror film that a, a black woman is in is just imitating what Rusty did in Tales from the Hood. I have and that was really true in your scene, right? In, yes. in the vignette that you were in, that was you know, so next level, right? Next in terms level, of talking, right? We as black people experience on a day-to-day -day basis is horror, period. There's no, no imitating, no making up for it. And Rusty exposed that in a way that changed the horror culture in black films. We're no longer trying to give you the black your loves or the black this, the black. We're giving you our experience as a culture and how we're dealing with being in a society that makes us the boogie monster.
You know, when we're not that, but we're getting the backlash of the creature from the Black Lagoon. You know, all of these horror films were designed to, you know, make us feel less than. And Rusty turned it around and he made the world aware of the horror that exists within our um, experience. And I think in particular in your scene, I think we have a clip of it coming up to sort of address the issue of domestic violence against black women back yes. 25 years ago. I mean, just absolutely as wrong, right? Yes, you like know, it was right? okay. Like she just got her butt beat. Like my mom, my grandma, my grandma, grandma. It's It was like, you know, you were blessed if you were in a relationship and your man didn't lay hands on you. Like that was, you were a blessed woman, spoiled. Oh, he just spoils you. You know, so Rusty putting a light on that, it helps the women of tomorrow and now. And, you know, I I haven't had to experience that, but I am a child of a woman who did. And that's why I believe I didn't. You know, my mother will tell you if she was here, you know, um, she's the age of your grandmother. Um, she had me later in life, um, which is a blessing. And she will tell you that she was never with a man that didn't lay hands on her, wow. you know? And wow. I think it was just, and it, and it, Rusty began something that needed to be spoken of in across the board, not just to black women, but women, period. Um, white women, Asian women, Indian women, you know, it's okay. Oh, she got a black eye, the cops come out. Oh, you know, that was then, you know, the abuse that we were suffering was also, you know, I love OJ, but let's be honest, the cops did give him a hand and whooping her ass. Now that doesn't mean he killed her, but he, they did say, okay, you can whoop her ass today. Be right. good, don't whoop her ass no more. You know, so that changed. And all of that happened around the same time. Tales from the Hood the OJ um, trial mm -hmm. brought awareness to something that all of our mothers or our aunties don't lie. All of us sitting here know a woman. And didn't talk, it didn't talk about it, right? We just oh. didn't talk about it. I, 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 that, yeah. As a little girl, but telling my aunties, yeah, uh-huh. He beat my mama ass. And they were like, I got the worst butt beating I've ever gotten in my entire life for talking about it. Mm, mm, mm. And then you, who would have thought this was before we even talked about that need to be said. Being, I bet you my talked about shut it down. Men being feminists, right? Okay. <laughs> she shut it down. Yes. Shut it down. I um I have to applaud Rusty for tackling things so realistically. You know, changing the game. You don't get the the accolades you should because it's only happening in the black community. You know, you change the way that black people um, personify or show, we we show our horror. You know, we, yes. we show the horror. If you just take a look at all the black horror, it's about art. Even um, we can tell that Jordan has been touched by you. Even his horror, even as, as surreal as it is, it's talking about the experience and the fears that we have as a people trying to um, integrate into a society that really doesn't want us beyond what they they 
uh, signed up for. You know, they didn't sign up for, hey, look here. We, it was okay for you to build our stuff, but we didn't, we didn't sign up for you to kind of matriculate into the society. That wasn't the plan. So changing people's minds is what a good filmmaker does. And oh, the only way to change your mind is to show you that your mind is screwed up. You don't know that you're looking at things right. wrong. It shows you that you are. And um, I think Rusty should get all of that credit, like a lot of those French filmmakers got for changing <laughs> the game. You know, and Rusty's the man. That's hey, hey, Paul, hey, Paula, we just got word that Brandon hey. Hammond's in the audience. Who is this watching? Yeah, Brandon's in the audience uh, who played your son in, in Tales oh my One. Gosh, my baby. Oh, not. Rusty gave that baby. I mean, that baby has, that's one of the most talented children, one of the most talented actors I've ever worked with in my entire life. Like I'm still searching for I, one other baby. Um, I worked with the young lady, Stormy, who played in um, A Wrinkle in Time. She's mm -hmm. as, as special, but those are people that God on this earth, like Shirley, those are Shirley Temples. Those are, those are blessings that we have to appreciate, and you know, we have to uplift our children, actors, and make sure that they get their shot for life because they they deserve it. Yeah, we do. Paul was talking about Storm Reed. Uh, yeah. The Wrinkle on Time. Storm was actually, I think I put her in her first film, which we actually did. Oh, wow. Yeah, called. Um, uh, Whitewater, which yes, is uh, yes, yeah, nice. Great. Yeah. About the water fountain. Yeah, about the water fountain. Yes, that was so, so good. Because I always wondered, why didn't we clean the water fountains? I mean, okay, why they got to be nasty? I mean, I, do, I never understood. Okay, we got to drink out these water fountains, but why are we just going to get some Lysol? A little bit. Well, okay, let's be clear. What, what the water fountain was. It's, it, Whitewater is a story about two young kids who go into a town. It's based on a true story. Uh, a couple of students of mine that were in a writing class that uh, wrote a script and I, I helped them get it produced and then directed it uh, about a young black kid uh, in the South and a young white kid that go into town, a little one street town uh, in Opelika, Alabama. And they both get off the bus on a hot summer day and they have to run to the water fountains. They run to a fountain. The white kid goes to the whites only fountain. The colored kid goes to the colored fountain. And uh, the little colored boy looks over and sees this white kid drinking this water that tastes like, looks like it must be from a, a mountain spring someplace in Alaska, just cool and, and refreshing. And he's got this stale water. And he decides as a seven-year-old African-American kid in 1958, I think, uh, that he's going to drink from the whites only fountain at some point. And that's what the story is about. It's got a very uh, uh, Forrest Gump kind of vibe uh, and has some horror in it later on, because uh, even though we tried to give it a very um, uh, light air, and it is one of the few films you'll see about that period in time that has some laughs in it. Uh, we also wanted to make sure that the reality of what this child would be facing Drinking from a whites-only fountain in the South at that time uh, would would be shown. So it's horror, not horror like this. There's nothing supernatural about it. It's just the horror that that people do. 
Now, you know, Rusty, when we were prepping and having conversations about this event, we talked about the vignettes that Paula was in and some mm -hmm. of the audience feedback and some of your concerns about, you know, this whole issue. Why don't you, why don't you share that and, and, and yeah. uh, get some reactions from Paula about, uh, about yeah, this as Paula, well? Yeah, Paula would not would not have been there for this. So, um, you know, <laughs> I said we did a lot of test screenings and, um, uh, well, this this digs a little deep, but I'll I'll get into it. Excuse me. Um, she gets beat very badly uh, by David Allen Greer's character in in the film. And our first uh, cut of the film, my preferred cut of the film, uh, the beating goes on much longer than it does in what was released. And that, that was something that we had to deal with to get an R from the MPAA. Now, why that is interesting to me is this. Um, there was a, a moment in time when Schindler's List came out and it was played at a high school in Northern uh, California, somewhere in the Bay, I believe. And uh, a lot of attention articles were written on it that that the black students that watch Schindler's List were laughing at the film and how terrible they were to laugh at something so um, so outrageous and so bad. Um, now, cut back to Tales from the Hood and this beating that, that uh, Paula's character takes here and why I wanted it to be so long. So when we showed this, the long version, uh, and we mm -hmm. had a lot of young uh, high school African-American students in the audience. When her character first starts getting beat by David Allen Greer, they started laughing. And as the <laughs> film went on, those that laughter died down and you could see tears, you could feel this pain. And what you, the, 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 the purpose of me saying this is that even with the Schindler's List thing, you're dealing with an audience of, um, young young people who have seen this in their life and mm -hmm. if they haven't seen it they know someone who's dealt with it and what they are doing as young people is trying to push away that pain they don't want to deal with it they're going to laugh at it they're going to be oh that's crazy I, oh look at that you know they don't want to feel that pain and that's the same thing that happened to these kids watching schindler's list they're not trying to deal with that black americans and and hey look Poor people in this country deal with so much stuff, which is why they are more likely to go to a comedy than they are to go to a drama. They're not trying to relive what they go through on a day to day. So uh, in this film, I wanted this to be longer so people could actually feel this pain and, and get in touch with what was happening so that it wasn't just a laughter moment that they could easily brush off as oh look you know that bee got her butt whooped which is where yeah. they where they were going with it um and then well that and the resolution right so how you resolve that with what the with what the young um uh son does in there was was also you know right on the edge of you know of sort of redemption versus retaliation right yeah i mean uh you know, there's Brandon. He did such a fantastic job. I hope they sent you a link so you can join in, Brandon. I think they did. Anyway, um, you know, I was I was concerned. I mean, when this happened, when, that moment right there, when David Allen Greer's hand goes back, 
at the same screening that I'm talking about where these kids started to cry, the entire audience stood up and gave it a standing ovation. They were clapping through this entire ending. Uh, oh, wow. Afterwards, there were a couple of women there that came up to me who worked <laughs> at a, a woman's shelter. And I was really concerned because I was like, you know, uh, they said, well, we really like this. And I said, I said we work this women's shelter. Is this even a value? Because no one can do this in real life. You can't get rid of your real life villain this way. And they said, you know what? This is actually something that would be very cathartic for women and children that have gone through this. So it does serve a purpose, yes. which made me feel you know, a lot better. Uh, because I, I didn't want to put something out there that presented a solution to something that was impossible. I mean, it is impossible, but the fact that they said that it was something that could be healing for them to see yeah. was, uh, you know, it made me feel good. It is. Paula, what do you think about that? I think that is so beautiful. Like the whole concept of drawing your pain is something that is practiced in therapy. Not that I've ever experienced it myself. I could, I'm sure <laughs> it's a little bit, but the whole, I do, I have done my paint by numbers, Jesus. Um, I must admit it came out very nice. Um, but the point I'm making is yes, the whole drawing your pain is something that's practiced in therapy. And then the act of destroying it, it's even a religious thing sometimes. I think um, I've seen some uh, voodoo rituals where you do draw your pain and then burn it. You know, there are some, all of this once again on YouTube, but yes, these are definitely um, things that have been practiced throughout history. Um, what you did and naming the monster and then destroying it. You know, a lot of times like Voldemort, we're afraid to say his name, but until you name the monster, you can't destroy it. So I think I, I agree. I think that was a beautiful thing that people incorporated that. It's smart. Well, and that also pushes power dynamics, right? So power of men over women, power yeah. because of race, power mm -hmm. because of physical yes. might. And so that horror genre allows you to be able to disrupt yes. those those power dynamics in a way that, you know, I could see people standing up and cheering. Yes. Um, and superstition. We are superstitious people. You know, uh, uh, our boy wrote a song about it. Very superstitious. You want, you want to hear one here ago, but we are superstitious. Like, you know, the those are ancient superstitions. You know, I still put my bills in the freezer to make sure that the collectors are freeze the debt. You know, those are our superstitions that we have carried with us from Africa of naming the monster and then destroying it. And those are things that do work on a metaphysical level as well. Oh, I'm gonna add another guest to this. I hear Darren Scott joined us in the green ah! room, so. Darren! We're just having a party. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, D. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, How's it going? Good. 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 We're, we're having a 25th year anniversary party here. Right on. Let's part. Who brought the booze? I got the Perrier. <laughs> have I have I, I have my own supply at home. So, <laughs> so what do you think? Twenty five years ago, what do you think? K 
can't believe that much time has passed. It's really incredible. Yeah. But uh, what's even more incredible is that the film is just as or more relevant now than when we made it 25 years ago. You basically yeah. could put the movie out now, mm-hmm. change all the dates on it, the copyright date and all that stuff, and put it out now. And unless people were uh, were uh, aware of the age of the actors or, you know, well, wait a second, it would come across as a modern film. So give me a story about one of the conversations you and, and, and Rusty had in pulling this together that was something that maybe you struggle with or you second or third guess with, or you said, nope, man, we got to go out there. We've got to push this envelope because we were talking about that with the scenes that, that Paula was in and, and how how much they pulled the cover back on issues of uh, abuse, particularly for women of color that really hadn't been done in film before. Sure. Well, I think uh, Rusty's use of uh, the hanging uh, lynched bodies and bodies burning on a on a pyre uh, in the Crazy K episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, the lion's share of people who saw the movie over the years had never seen pictures like that. They certainly hadn't seen uh, those pictures in 1995 because. They weren't put on in front of them. They weren't, you know. Uh, so I think that was w- one of the most uh, envelope-pushing things uh, that we did was uh, featuring those b- very shocking and uh, sad photos. Yeah, that was especially true. There was a, a scene with um, uh, with the death by the dolls, right? You remember that from mm-hmm. what you do that? That when I remember when I first saw that, I was like, no, they didn't do that. Like that was, I was like, ooh, somebody's getting ready to get in trouble <laughs> for, I mean, that was, that was even today that, you know, engenders a certain visceral, um, you know, response. It's, it's sort of you're torn between going, yes, this is justice to, no, I shouldn't be cheering for that. What do you, what do you think about that? Uh, I'm on the, yeah, this is justice side all the way. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have any sympathy for the character whatsoever. He had it come. Hey, hey Darren, Darren, can Darren hear me? Yeah. Um, what, what political ad did we take take this from? I always forget that guy. Was it Jesse uh, Helms? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was Jesse Helms. Uh, uh, it was that political uh, ad where he acted like he was he was. Balling up that piece I'm, of paper. I'm telling you, say, can you hear me? Hmm? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. It was a Jesse Helms. Uh, ad. He was running against, uh, I think it was Harold Grimes or something. I'm getting his opponent's name mixed up. But he, he was running against a black candidate in, uh, in North Carolina. And, you know, Helms is one of the most notorious racists in the history of the Senate. So uh, uh, he had this ad where 
Oh, by the way, that's my mama. Yeah, that's my mama. Really? Yes. I'm sorry, Darren. I just want to point out that's my mom. She played the voodoo lady. Yes. Awesome. They just—they were just showing the clip, so I just wanted to point that out. All right. So anyway, the narrator comes on. You just see these white hands, a desk, and a letter. And it's obviously a rejection letter. You didn't get the job. And it's like, you were qualified for that (laughs) job. You earned that job. You should have got that job. (laughs) But they gave it to. We don't have to tell you who they gave it to. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, Audrey, you were talking about this earlier, is a, a real example of, you know, how we just pulled things from what was real in the world. We actually, that uh, shot of uh, David Duke, uh, not David Duke, of uh, Duke, 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 Duke Metzger <laughs> in Duke our movie, Metzger. crumbling up the piece of paper, is the exact shot from the Jesse Helms uh, political ad shot. at, that, of, at wow. that year. And of course, Duke Metzger, uh, Tom Metzger, David Duke, we were just pulled the names and made it one person. Yeah. So two, yeah. two, mm-hmm. two insane racist uh one of Klansmen and uh well Tom Metzger was a Klansman, but he was a he's a racist uh person out here in California. Uh lived and, uh, uh, just over the bridge in Glendale. People forget Yeah, that but you know that the, horror, um, right? That disrupts that, right? Uh-huh. I mean that you took something that was real and uh-huh. you put it within horror, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden you got a completely different scenario, right, going. I mean that that's gotta give a lot of freedom for a director and an actor and a writer, don't you think, Darren? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, everybody was anticipating. Uh, Corbin was uh, very inspired by the part, and you know, we just rolled with it. Corbin, Corbin, Corbin. Yeah, something about Corbin. Corbin was fantastic, and yeah. the funniest thing to me about his performance, and this, this. We, we, we talked about comedy earlier, Audrey, and comedy yeah. versus horror and drama and all that sort of stuff. Okay. We have Corbin Burnson playing a, a racist uh, governor in, in this episode. And in an earlier episode, we had uh, Wingshauser playing a racist cop. Years, years after this happened, Corbin came up to me at something and said, Rusty, I got to thank you. And I said, and I haven't seen him for years. I'm like, for what? He's like, for all the the huge black fan base I got from Tales from the Hood. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and so because he, because Corbin somehow with his, you little nigglets, uh, managed to garner a laugh. He was hilarious, you know. People enjoyed him and black people <laughs> really liked him. On the flip oh, side. I have to interject as an actor. As an actor. Wait, 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 yeah. wait one second, Paul. Let me finish this. Point. I don't know. Okay. Let me finish this point. Oh, well, <laughs> okay. I'm just telling you that Corbin's got a big fan base of black people that like it. I don't know, baby. On the flip side, on the okay. flip side Wings Hauser, who played an evil cop and was not funny at all, <laughs> I can remember being on the set and crew members coming up to me. And I, I imagine they about came up to Darren, but I know they came up to me and they were like, he really believes that he's a racist jerk. Not like he's an actor. Really? If he was, if he believed it, he wouldn't be doing this movie. Right. He's just a really good actor. 
But I like your point. I do. I do appreciate your point because I have played funny hoochie. Mm-hmm. But right. you know, if the thing about that is, then it it becomes hard for people to do other allow me to do other things. But I do do other things, and maybe that is because she's a funny hoochie. Right. But you no, know, I'm looking at Corbin, and I have talked about it with him, and I have talked about it with you know black people on a whole, and they do look at him like I look at you know Mister Danny Glover. I love him to death, but I still can't look at him without thinking about Mister. And I'm I lover once, and I was like, "Ooh, I can't stand him." I think we went to high school together, and I went up to him and I was like, "Didn't we go to high school together?" And he was like, "No, I'm Danny Glover." And I was like, "Oh my goodness!" But it just hit me that I hated him just off top. I didn't even know why I hated him, but it was because well, of Mister. But he wasn't funny, you know. so that's why I appreciate. Well, <laughs> well, it does, it does hit people different ways, right? It hits people right. different ways. I think Darren, you mentioned crazy, um, the crazy case uh, uh, segment. I think we have a clip from that uh, that we can show. But go ahead while they're pulling that up. Um, so I do, I do. As an actor, I do know that you can get stereotyped based on giving a great performance, and yeah, yeah. both of them gave phenomenal uh, performances. Oh. Now, the, okay, this is the crazy case section. There's Rosalind, uh, who, who, oh my God, she just did a phenomenal performance. She's um, wonderful. Sandy Lamont Bentley, who played Crazy K, is not with us anymore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I will say this. This is a sidebar. Uh, when he was alive, he oh, obviously when he was alive, he came up to me and he said, Rusty, I got to thank you. Actors come up and they thank you for different things. It's interesting. And I'm like, what's up, Lamont? He's like, I, uh, what's a polite way to say this? <laughs> I, I, I got so many hookups <laughs> with various women because <laughs> you put me on that thing in that little bikini. <laughs> Oh, Lamont, and yeah. Miss Audrey, don't act like me and you was like, oh, oh, oh. And I said, beside myself, I said, oh, Lord, the good die young. You know, like, just somebody, oh, auntie, grandma. But yes. But I do remember what, some uh, comments and exclamations about uh, Lamont's uh, clothing while we were shooting. Right. But did you like, did you yeah, all get backlash from uh, did you get backlash from the black community about sort of the 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 equating of black on black violence with the lynchings? Did you get any no. negative blowback? No. No. no, we got none. In fact, what what and I don't know if Darren's heard any of this. I know I've told him. I don't know if anyone's come up to him said it specifically, but I've had more than a few young men they're older now come up to me and say they stopped gang banging because of this segment right wow. here wow wow many that's very powerful even yeah. even if it turned uh one life away from a dark path as an artist you got to take great satisfaction in that yeah, no, 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 no black person had any problem with uh, with this at all. And, <laughs> you know, I, I was talking about the, the white uh, viewers that we had that had a problem with the 
with the cop episode, no white person had a problem with this because it was dealing with black people doing black things. <laughs> oh yeah, they love this. Like, you know, yeah. when we were studying, we were studying this. I didn't realize until we started doing the research on on this, and particularly with George Romero's film, that that final scene in *Night of the Living Dead* actually is, you know, sort of a a, a, a connection to lynching when the only black. You that's know, what character. I was saying. Yes, that's what I was yeah. trying to say, Miss Audrey. That's what I was. That was the comparison I was making with the zombies. Yes. Did you all think about that and sort of and sort of how you put this together? Was that an influence point at all? The movie Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, it wasn't. I can't speak for Darren, but it wasn't for me. Um, you know, I've seen many, many uh, zombie uh, movies in my day. I, I am an actual horror fan, so probably pieces were coming from a lot of places. A lot but of the, there, there was no thought of that particular uh -huh. one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, but I guess you can say it minds for social justice think alike. So oh, there you go. <laughs> that that, that is, is true. George Romero, true. Um, who actually was a trailblazer in terms of how we can look at black characters on screen. Yes, Absolutely. thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, not always the character that's running scared and. Or the first one that gets killed, right? That's the Forrest Gump thing. Ah, oh, the black the black character is the first one to get killed or shot or or, or exit, right? Time. And that wasn't the case in Romero's Night of the Living Dead. No, and Dwayne Jones did a tremendous job acting the part. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was strong. Uh, obviously, the smartest one there, the bravest one there, mm -hmm. and a leader. And he's being pitted against a guy who the only thing this guy doesn't do is use racial slurs because it was obvious uh, in the character of uh, the other husband that uh, that uh, uh, the black character's race is a big factor to him. Right. Uh, the, the Romero never just totally went there mm -hmm. just let it play out and you can he see did. you can see the dynamics mm -hmm. of uh of this guy especially after uh uh Dwayne punched him absolutely oh i hear brandon's in the green room let's see if we can bring him in so we can you guys hear me Okay, yeah. who's the NFL player? Hey, hey, Paula. Hey, Rusty. <laughs> welcome, hey, welcome, Matt. welcome. Hey, Matt. I just met Matt like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> Glad you met, sir. No, thank you guys for inviting me. This is awesome. Thank you, Rusty, for inviting you, me. Man. Nice. Oh, nice yeah, to meet man. you, Nice to meet you guys. This is awesome what you guys are doing. Now. So you got you got 25 years, right? 20 years, <laughs> right. Um, I, I was... 10, I believe, when I did okay. it. 11, oh. I'm 36. I'm 36. Oh, wow. Right. I got salt and pepper in my beard. And, you gotta um, be. Right. And it's funny, because I, I reconnected with Paula, like, a few months ago. Um, had a couple things. Uh, she was doing a TV show, and then she also did Insecure, and I saw her at the premiere of that. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah. It's, been, it's been decades since I've talked to Rusty. Yeah, man. I mean, we... 
the last time I saw Brandon, we were supposed to be doing something up in, in Canada. Canada, yeah. Uh, yeah, Vancouver. Yep. And, and he got sick yep. and he had to drop out. It was terrible because oh, I had yep. cast him in this thing. Uh, it was a Disney thing. It was, and oh, I, I, had, I had done opposite <clears throat> casting yep. where the kid that would normally be a blonde, blue-eyed kid was Brandon. Uh, nice. And the other That's kid was right. white kid. And then Brandon got sick, yep. and they gave me a blonde, blue-eyed kid. So I ended up with a, just a traditional old Disney movie. See, Rusty, uh, which one was, was that? It was a uh, spinning. It was called Yeah, Spinning Marty's Excellent Adventures. Oh, oh no, Rusty, I'm Rusty so was sorry a trendsetter. You got sick, sweetie. I know, Rusty <laughs> man, but Rusty was like a trendsetter, man. He was. Oh, uh, there you are, Brandon. Yeah. There he is, young man. Those big eyes. Look at those big eyes. Ah, What was that like being that young, you know, working with Darren and Rusty and Paula? What was that like? Wow, it was unbelievable. Um, you know, also David Allen Greer, you know, shout out to him. And, yeah. and yeah. Paula was amazing. She was like a mom, you know, like whenever I was, uh, and I have allergies, really bad allergies, so forgive me. But, but um, I, I love kids. You right. were the veteran. Oh, you, this you, was Paula. my first movie. It, it wasn't what? yours. Yes, this was my first wow. movie. I did this and Friday at the same time. Like wow. I literally booked oh, wow. them. I didn't know what you did first. That's right. That's right. So this was my first movie. This was not your first uh, rodeo. You're right. I was I looking did. at you like, what do I do? How do I? <laughs> what am I? And you were just a little pro. A little better. You'd be better. like action. You'd be like, ooh. I'd be like, oh my god, <laughs> oh my You were giving me tips. That's so funny. What you know about this industry is. You know, um, I work with Kyla, another baby I work with all the time. You know, like I said, Stormy, I always get to work with the best babies. And I thank God for that opportunity. Um, I always say he's my manager, the best manager you could ever have. But that's the beautiful thing about you child actors. You guys have, you're professionals and you're just little people, right. you know, and you're, you're telling us grownups what it is. And, you know, I've got the first day jitters and you're the the old pro, you know, right. and I say that all the time, like you've been in the game longer than I have. And I, I'm, you know, working yeah. on 39, you know. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, tells you, you know, what's the amazing story about that is my manager at the time, before he became known as a world famous producer and um, TV exec, uh, Lee Daniels was my manager. And, oh, yeah. right. and this was the first I had just switched over representation and the first audition he had for me was this film called Tales from the Hood and the funny thing is I actually didn't think I did that well in the audition and I, did, I, was thinking that right, too. I didn't think I did that well and, but I got the call back and you know I was fortunate enough to, to work on this film and you know I'll be honest you know at the time I wasn't really old enough to really know what exactly Rusty was doing in terms of the the, the stories he was, was telling. So as I got older and people were telling me how much they enjoyed this film, um, I got to appreciate what it meant and um, just the importance of it. And I mean, Rusty, man, like when I look back on this film, like the stuff you were saying, man, it... it I think I heard earlier Paula was talking about the comparison to Jordan Peele and the stuff he's doing. Rusty, you were already doing it, man. 
Yeah, you know, I want to put the scene up of, uh, of Crazy K because uh, Rusty, I want you to talk about this because because Brandon, to your point, this was this was pushing the envelope 25 yes. years ago. So right. Rusty, yeah. talk about this. Talk about the scene. Well, I, I wanted to bring this up now. Okay, so th this scene when we were talking about people that come up and say that uh, this episode uh, helped them see that they shouldn't gangbang and you know the black on black crime was bad. Uh, this this particular scene within that episode was a big part of it, and yeah. uh, kudos to Darren. Darren wrote the most of the dialogue for this scene. I think um, yeah. we have a really great actor here. But this this is uh, one of those things that I was talking about where we really put stuff in your face and and don't back away from it. Um, go ahead, Darren. I know you want to say something about it. Oh no, I was just gonna say. Uh... Rick Dean came in. Uh, Rick Dean being the white actor white who's playing the crazy, uh, the crazy uh, white supremacist in the cage. Yeah, and uh, you know this is one of my favorite scenes, and I thought it was going to get messed up because he had worked on another picture all night. Then I he, came, that. he came in the morning. And literally fell asleep in the makeup chair while they oh, wow. got him made up. I, I go in there to say hi, and he's snoring while they're making him up. So I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be a disaster. He got in that cage. Boy, he rocked it. Uh, one of my favorite favorite scenes I've ever been involved with. He, he was just really good. And uh, back and forth uh, between the two of them was, was really powerful. And... Uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> and it's so, it's, it's today, right? It wasn't just yeah. 25 years ago. This is today, right? Yeah. Brandon, what were you getting, you getting, you getting ready to weigh in I was just saying Lamont to, you know, rest in peace um, to him who played Crazy K. Um, he was an amazing actor and I actually got to know him really well too. Yeah. Later on in his career and I actually had talked to him like two weeks before he passed. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to just give, you know, uh, a shout out to him because he he was amazing. Because if you look at his roles later on, like in Moesha, it's like completely the opposite. Oh, totally of, opposite. Right? So he was he just amazing, amazing. Just the, the range he had as an actor was unbelievable. Yeah, he was really good. Hey, Darren and uh, Rusty, I have a question. You, you had said that the last scene we watched was was like the catalyst for a lot of people coming up to you and say they, they stopped gangbanging. Why do you think a movie was the reason they stopped gangbanging instead of like all the outreach programs or community programs that were coming into schools that wasn't getting there? Why a movie? I, I would say because what film can do, probably more than any other art form really uh books can do it somewhat if you can get somebody to read them um but what a film can do is take you emotionally to a place so i think what we managed to do in that particular episode is intellectually connect something uh the idea black on black crime is bad and you're doing to yourself what you would say a white racist is doing to you that you don't like. So you're doing that to yourself. But putting it in 
a wave that hits you from an emotional standpoint is what really takes you to a place where you can make a where you can make a, a, a change within yourself. And so I think between that scene, those visual images of all the the death of, of past lynchings and burnings and beatings, when you see that you go, I'm doing that. Exactly. It's much different than someone standing up in front of you and saying, now you kids, you really, this is terrible. Yeah. Right. In a movie, you're not being, I mean, though we're preaching in a way, but we're preaching in a way that hits you from an emotional level that hits you deep, deep, deep inside. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's what did it. Well, you know, one of the things the research team and I have been talking about in prepping for this and shout out to Matt and to Everett and to Olivia, the three people that I've been working, is about horror deconstructing things like uh, race and violence. And, and by that meaning the ability to sort of pull it apart and really get in there in the uncomfortable places of the topic right. and make people face, you know, right. violence against uh, women of color or black on black violence or white supremacy violence and, and do so in a way that, that it looks at power and authority and all of those things together. And it makes you have to, uh, to deal with them probably in a way that you, you turn off if it's just a news clip or if it's just a story. But horror not only deconstructs, it pulls you in. What do you think about that? I had to throw some academic stuff out there just to prove my street cred. Let me well, just I, mean, I, 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 would, I would agree with you. I'll let Darren and anybody else answer too. But I would agree with you that um, you, yeah. horror, horror allows you to dig into um, a topic, an issue, a feeling, an emotion, and it makes it visceral, and it makes yeah. it, it it makes it resonate kind of, <clears throat> kind of deep within you. Uh, and you know, um, film has the ability to do that in in other ways too. But because horror, at its very center, uh, and drama does this as well. But I think horror, even more than drama, is about attacking you from an emotional standpoint not intellectual i mean you can throw the intellect in there but because it's hitting you from an emotional standpoint it does allow you to dice to play around with all these things and if you're clever you can attach the intellectual to the emotional and creates and create something out of it uh, and, you know, I think even more than drama, the, the you know, in drama, generally, you're either going to cry, you get the tears, or you get a little angry or something like that. But there's no, there's no emotion, I think, personally, that I think is stronger than fear, which is this fight or, uh, uh, flight, fight or, fight or flight, fight or flight emotion that you get. And that's what horror in sci-fi to a certain degree can can play around with and true really strong emotions you guys hit them with truth i think miss audrey said that before as well those those images are horrific right. it's kind of like how we saw mr floyd get murdered we can mm. continually tell you that yeah. they are putting their necks on <laughs> their they are stepping on our necks but until you see it 
you know, and you see it horrifically. We sat there and watched the life go out of someone. And then we were ready to, to take a stance. And I think that is what you said earlier about those images. You guys, I love George, but he was living in an age where he had to sneak it in. You know, he did like you mentioned, Aaron, he didn't say it that, you know, they call, he didn't call him a nigga. He just thought and, and kind of insinuated acted, you. Acted like he thought he was. You guys <laughs> genuinely had him calling people niggas. You had the words coming out of my mouth, you know, and that, those images, as horrific as they were, some people had never seen those images before. With white people standing around, black people being hung and murdered and castrated, and white really? people like, yeah, here's my, my color and smile. You know, I think, I think that is what woke us up. It is, and it, and it also forces people to have a certain kind of conversation that maybe they wouldn't have had, you know, you know, otherwise. I mean, I, I remember conversations, you know, with friends and family when Tales One came out that forced, you know, a conversation about, you know, not only violence against uh, 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 black people, but violence perpetrated by black people in a way that I'm just not sure, you know, over fried chicken on Sunday, we'd have had that conversation any other way. Yes, true. You, you you did. That's such a great point. You showed both sides, and that's honesty. Nice. Brandon, what you what you been up to since Tales? So, Brandon, what you been up to? Wow. Well, so in the immediate, um, I did most. So most people probably know me from a movie I did called Soul Food. Uh, that's the film that most people probably associate with my careers, hmm. but. But it's amazing though, because as I, it's it's what social media has allowed is for people to kind of reconnect with their childhood in a lot of ways. So yeah, I've been getting a lot of like interview requests and people like, man, you know, you were that kid, you were that dude. You know, it's funny. My friend called me the Jennifer Lewis of child actors. You know, Jennifer Lewis who played right. every, everybody's mom. They were like, you were everybody's son, basically. Right. You know, in the '90s, right? So, uh, you know, I did, now, so the yeah. industry is opening up. So, right. you know, we're, it's Absolutely. like we're all starting from ground one. Right. So, and you know, so, every this is all happening for a reason to balance. Absolutely. You know, so we're waiting on Rusty and Darren. Right. I'm writing and directing now. Um, yes, actually, wow. um, my wonderful partner, um, Genesis Scott, um, we were winners of the first annual John Singleton film competition this year. Cool. Um, that and, man, it was I mean, out of like 300 people. Wow. Our script was selected amongst, you know, and I mean, anytime you have John Singleton's name on anything, it's an amazing honor. But unfortunately, COVID hit. So we weren't yeah. able to film our project. Part of uh, the prize was we got $20,000 from the city of LA to film our project. So we're just waiting for COVID to go sit down somewhere. And yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure. they're still going to give you the money. Yes, yes, they are. They, they said it's still going to yeah, nice. that up. And so it's just, I'm, I'm trying to be like Rusty. Right here. Yeah, look, trying the to be like Rusty. Don't do nothing exactly. with our brothers. Yes, we got to you know. keep in touch too, Rusty and Darren. We, I would yes. like to just reconnect with you guys. And, oh, yeah. You I'm know. just uh, glad to see that you're such a well-adjusted young man. Cause oh, thank you, man. Thank you. In my early days, I, I did my best to traumatize you. 
First, you were a menace to society. I was just and, and watch. That's what I'm saying. You went in. Me and Darren go back. Yes, me and Darren yes. go back back. Yep, yep. So then you had to watch that <laughs> and go through. Oh, you watched. Uh, yep. You watched. Beat up. You uh, definitely uh, left an impression on his beat, life because well, we're talking well, about producing and directing. And at that point, I think you were like seven. Or eight. Mm-hmm. I was. I was. A couple years before. Then bringing you back in uh, in uh, Tales from the Hood, yeah, Tales from the Hood, you get full blown uh, <laughs> horror trauma. You get to rap, so, rap so talk to me about the decision to make two. So Darren and, and Rusty, talk to <laughs> me about that. Yeah, talk to me about two about Tales two. I've been trying to get it made ever since we did the first one. Wow, it took a long time. Uh, one of the main problems. The main problem actually was that the company Savoy Entertainment that originally financed and distributed the film went out of business. Okay. And when they went out of business, all their assets and the rights to their films started getting pawned off and sold to all these different companies. Mm -hmm. And they bounced around and they finally landed uh, with Universal. And they landed at a point in time where uh, it was around 2000. And we came very close at that time to uh, getting another theatrical sequel done to it. Uh, But it's Hollywood. Things happen and the deal uh, ended up falling through. But that's the closest we had gotten. And because one studio owned the rights, we had to just keep coming back until they were interested in doing it because wow you know studios don't let the rights to their properties go to another studio uh ever since home alone nobody does that because they got people is there like a certain debate sequel no sequel that you you went through about you know okay can we take it to the next level is is one good enough and you know talk to me about that whole creative process particularly (laughs) with how powerful Tales from the Hood Part 1 was. Uh, oh, go ahead, Aaron. Go ahead. You, go, you can go ahead, Russ. Uh, well, before I get to that, I just want to say what you're watching right now is one of my favorite segments from Tales 2, Two. which is the Emmett Till uh, section here, where Emmett comes back and talks to a black um, a black person running for office, and, and he's talking about sacrifice. So... Uh, this is just one of my favorite, uh, this is actually one of my favorite tales of tales. Uh, but your question, you know, we just wanted to make another film. We were never like, oh my God, there, maybe we should just leave it at one. No, <laughs> we, well, we were excited to try and get something else done. And it was more a matter of saying, what, what, are, the, what are the issues that we're going to look at now? Um, so this being an example and apologies to, there's gotta be some out there, black Republicans that are listening in. I just had a real issue with understanding black Republicans, even before Trump (laughs) became so popular. And, and the idea that the Republican party had used the Southern strategy so much in so many different elections 
uh, to get their candidates elected. They, they've used race continuously. Yeah. And, you know, it's now the basis Trump, of their party, is, Trump is in office and, and people are acting like this is a new thing. And there's a lot of uh, Republicans I like now or ex-Republicans like Steve Schmidt and different people that are actively trying to get Trump uh, out of office. But they were part of it. And I think I've heard him even say say that, you know, he didn't realize how racism was used by his party so much. And that's shocking to me that he didn't. But it, it's quite an obvious thing. So this episode is really one where, you know, we, we looked at different things that were, were we felt were happening at the moment. And Trump was coming into office at that time. And I, I'm looking at these black Republicans in the Senate, uh, Tim Scott, who, they are, who are who are backing this man up. And I'm going, what the hell are you doing? And so I, I'm, I, so we had Emmett Till as a ghost come back and talk to one of them and say, I sacrificed my life in a, in a certain way. But Emmett Till's death really did spark uh, in a strong way a lot of people outside of just the black community being concerned about um, uh, black civil rights. civil rights in America. And so, but what if, but what if there was no, uh, what if there was no Emmett Till? I, th I think oftentimes as black Americans uh, today, we don't really uh, appreciate the sacrifices that have been made on our behalf for us to live the lives we live. And, mm -hmm. and, and we sit back and we don't want to go out. And, and one of the things that I really in, enjoyed, if you can call it a joy, mm -hmm. but it, but it has, has kind of helped my soul is seeing all the young people who have gone out and marched uh, in the Black Lives Matters protests mm -hmm. and basically put their lives on the line. And, and all the white it's amazing. who have gone out. Right. And that's what I've been Yes, community. Yes. A lot of and you know, exactly. what's really hills. Oh, yeah. And what's really powerful about that clip you showed is that you gave Emmett Till voice in a way that, that we haven't seen before. You know, we're used to the images of him being... Uh, being lynched and burned, but to give him voice and to use horror to go back in time to bring his voice forward into the present time to me was just some next level thinking and imagery that, that you all put on the screen. Want to jump into what you're saying and agree? There have so many stories that I am not limiting us to Tales from the Hood Three. I see for for them um, an opportunity to do uh, what's that Twilight Zone. There are so many tales from the hood that it's 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 innumerable that that and, and unimaginable that that you guys are just making this movies like this is an anthology series that can last the ages. There are so many stories Absolutely. to tell. You guys are going to be able to give Brandon and myself an opportunity to direct some of these. You know the episode. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and I think what about a, a what about a dean that goes back in time? I think you need a, a series in there about a dean that goes back in time and you know does some stuff. 
happens yes. to be from Pittsburgh. Don't you think? I think that would be good. I do. Yeah, I do. Come on, right into that woods, right behind you. The mural of the woods, right behind you. And then that's the 20s. And being a writer right up in there with whoever, because I wanted to put it in the Harlem Renaissance. That's more the 40s, you know, running into. So I, I pray that yep. for us. Yep. Go ahead, Brandon. Go ahead. Does, does Walter grows up, right? Yes. Right there. <laughs> Walter grows up. <laughs> I think he grows up in Tales 4. I think he, right? I, he grows up in 4, right? In Tales I don't know. Four, right? Because if they're Miss Archie, you can write a couple of them. What's that like? What's that to an anthology is not just for you guys. It's for the culture, baby. For the culture. What was that, Darren? Walter no, I said what? after uh, all you've been through, uh, Walter's character might grow up to be a beater. That's a story right there. That, that is, is a story. A story too. A cycle, that, a cycle that of that abuse. Is cycle, right. baby. Yes. A cycle of abuse, right? So, so Rusty, take us into into Tales Part Three. So, talk about the 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 new from. Give us give us a setup, and then I think we've got a clip from it here too. All right. Uh, yeah. So we were fortunate enough to get um, Tony Todd. Um, yeah, we got a yeah. Oh, no, no, that's not our baby. Did our baby come? Did Clarence come back? No, Clarence no. didn't come back. But Clarence we've got. Tony I look back. Yes, Diva. Diva. We've got Tony Todd, and we've that's got a beautiful good. young girl here whose name is Sage Arendelle, who did a fantastic job. But three, um, you know, we we tried to look at other stories that uh, some some of them very closely connected to what's what we're doing today. One called The Bunker that I, I think kind of plays into what's happening now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, what's this to, one? to Brandon's point, well, this is the wraparound. This is, this is the story that takes us through all the other tales. And um, uh, we find uh, Tony Todd here with this little girl and he's trying to save her from something that is tracking them and this thing that's tracking them she she's afraid of and he's trying to take her away from it and on their journey to try and reconnect with her mother uh she tells she tells stories so that's that will calm her down and keep her from feeling so afraid on this journey and she so Tony and uh, Young Sage are the ones that take us into various tales to be told. Wow. Wow, so it's kind of like an intergenerational setup or a sort of visual narration of what's to come, right? pretty? Yeah, this is, this is the top of the movie, basically. And this uh, is, is the stuff that happens that takes us into the first, the first tale. Um, and this was a very cold day. That's all. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. Uh, seeing her innocence through the gray. Yeah, this is this is you know this is the oh the shot the lighting our, oh my god a young version of Brandon here but a female version. Yes. <laughs> I like that. I like Another that. baby star. Is that, is, is that deliberate on your part, Rusty, to to, to pull in very young actors and give them a voice in the films? Is yes. that a real deliberate? Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the big, big things that there's this thing about chil children have an automatic innocence. 
and you automatically are concerned about their well-being. If you're a decent, if you're a decent, <laughs> um, you're automatically concerned about their well-being. So there's a a good value to having young people in a film. I mean, I, I would go back. You know, I mentioned the Babadook earlier. It's a perfect example of it. You're automatically concerned about this person. The Exorcist. You're automatically it's a different movie if this person who is possessed is 35 years old. You don't care. Always you, you know, but if it's a young person, yeah, we we are automatically invested. So it's great it's point. just a smart choice. I think we got another clip from three coming up. Um and so were, were there were there things that you wanted to keep from one that you pulled into 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 Tales 3 at all? Or was this uh, like it's a new day? It's a new day. Uh, we were trying to find different different things. I mean, I, I, as I said earlier, it's sad that so many of the things that we dealt with in Tales 1 are still here and you know with us. Um, and so we didn't specifically go to police uh, issues. Um, but this is uh, this story here is one that uh, Darren wrote. Um, yeah, and it's a deal with landlords. Uh, go ahead, Darren. Oh, yeah. From a from a standpoint of theme, this one is about the housing crisis. I hate landlords, and which is really blowing up right now. Uh, yes. During COVID times, but even before. Uh, you know, predatory yes. uh, Aren't they horrible? They're worse than Lomar people, yes. Have been a massive problem for, for everyone. Mm -hmm. to Anyone us. who's trying to stay in LA right now, and I've got so many friends who are moving out, reluctantly moving out now because mm -hmm. they just can't afford it. Yeah. Because everything is being converted uh, into expensive housing for one percenters. And uh, in this particular case, uh, we have London Brown, and he's the landlord, and he's trying to get a family that, uh, out of his apartment building. They're the last ones to go, but they won't leave because they have a son going through chemotherapy. Wow. So, like all evil landlords, he uh, decides to... Uh, get them out of there uh, in an involuntary fashion. Mm -hmm. So he goes to see uh, a buddy of his who's uh, a little nuts and an arsonist mm -hmm. and they make a plan. Mm -hmm. And the uh, plan goes awry and the family gets taken out. And then ghostly revenge Ghostly vengeance things happen for the rest of the episode. And it's pretty fun. Wow. But yeah, I mean, it, it is an episode that just, it really deals with um, kind of the, the housing crisis, landlord yeah. issues, slumlord issues. Mm -hmm. Which again, were made so much worse by COVID, right? Right. I mean, so, so the timing of this kind of thing just got absolutely just blown up because of right. all the things that we've seen in 2020. Right. Um, yeah. I've experienced you can have the money and just be too dark to, to get the deal, you know, to get the, 
to get into the apartment, the, you know, black, you just, sure. you can be, you can have the money, but then they'll say, well, the credit, your credit isn't good enough. Okay. Well, I'll pay a little extra. Then there's a little, you know, then there's something else, you know, so it's not. How do you like the old? Right. Yeah. There's a lot of things wrong with this place. Right. They, they'll find like Mm-hmm. There's a leak it's over not here. just the money. Yeah, sometimes. Because we're Trying getting beyond the thing about the money, you know, the yeah. black race. So now they find, you know, credit's the new thing. Or the old thing that's now the new thing. With, with, yeah, it's, all, it's all sad. One thing that we're trying to do as the series uh, continues and hope, hopefully goes on the television and definitely goes into more movies is just expand the range of issues that we deal with yeah we deal oh, with okay. black and white issues but not solely you know uh so this one is uh talk to me about this one it is no longer just black exactly. yeah. well this this, <laughs> this, this is case, um, <laughs> this issue is well, this issue this story is dealing with a guy who is uh in a bunker He's 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 uh, a survivalist, a crazy. Well, not a survivalist. He's like one of those guys is out there. He's 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 ready. He's ready for the race wars. Oh, race wars! I love him. He's helter skelter all the way. He's, I love he's, him. He's locked. He's locked down in a bunker. But this is uh, this is a very cool cool episode, and the actor uh, in this is just amazing this is practically a one-man show on this wow. two characters that that show up but um uh, he really carries this on his own his name is cooper huckabee and uh cooper is just he, he's an amazing actor i i if, if you don't watch any part of tales three <laughs> watch Watch this for his performance. All of it. And then I would also Three, say four, five, six, seven. I would also say get the Blu-ray at some point. Watch it on sci-fi, but get the Blu-ray because there's some stuff in this episode um that you are not going to see on television. So I do have a question. Um as I'm asking Rusty the professor, because I guess and I know everyone knows that Rusty teaches. Um, if not, now you know. I'm curious, Rusty. Why why aren't you turning it into a television anthology? Is there is it a more of a, of a, of a, of a just no from a from a from a professor standpoint? We why why we aren't is because we're trying to. We're trying to <laughs> okay. we're, we're we're in the process of trying to make that happen. It's it's uh it's tricky because there's you know you, you got to deal with a lot of legal stuff. That's all I'm going to say about it. But well, we, we are working on it trying to make that happen. Okay, so it's easier legally to make a movie. Uh, it's it's been easier legally to make the films. Yes. Okay, yeah. I get it. I get it. Make yeah. sense. But we still intend to make it. I would love to see a show. That would be amazing, Rusty and Dan. That would be amazing. I, I would love to do it. Now that you're directing, you should direct one of the episodes. Y'all heard it here. Oh, I heard it. I heard it. We're witnesses. I brought it up. Witnesses. This is recorded too, right? Right, man. Now you got to make sure he got mama. Got you. Holding you to that, Rusty. Holding you to that. 
I would love that. that yeah. Y'all that, see that hey. in the world. Y'all in the world, everybody out there sees it. Talk about full circle too. I see that would be amazing, right? I mean, just full circle. And and I and I tell you this honestly too, Rusty, you were one of the, the best I've I've been blessed to work with really great directors. You're right there at the top of that list, man. You, you when, I mean it's no it's obvious why you continue to work with kids because you you work great with them. Because I've worked with some directors that are uh, you you can almost tell the last thing they probably want to do is is work with with a kid, but uh, I mean your patience, Rusty. Like obviously, and like to Darren's point, the kind of stuff that that I'm doing in a film that is rated R, that is that could be traumatizing and horrific. Um, you handled it, you know, just extremely well. So uh, I just wanted to just give you your flowers, bro. I really appreciate that. I, I love working with kids. And to, to your point, um, Brandon, on Tales 3, uh, and I, I can't say that much about it because I don't want to give too much away, but little yeah. Sadie Arendale, um, she has some lines of dialogue. I wrote them for her, but having to direct her saying them was wow. probably one of the hardest things. Wow. First word on mature subjects. She's great in it. it it's she's, it's she's words about mature things. And you know, I mean, she had a great mom, and I talked to her a lot on the set. But I, I really try to be protective of kids. Yeah. Um, when I work with them, because I have seen, uh, you know, I come from the acting side. Right. I've seen, you know, sets are not children-friendly places. They're not. It's a lot of adults. Yeah, there's a big uh, scandal yeah. right now. Pre, a lot of these kids pre, have pre the Me Too movement, there, wow. it was insanity because people are always, you know, there's, you got young people, there's a lot of sexual energy on sets. There's yes. a, lot of, you know, wow. a lot of improper things. And uh, so I tr really try to be protective of children when they're on, on mm -hmm. my sets wow. anyway. So we, we're going to open it up for the audience to submit some questions. But is is there for 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 all of y'all? Is there a line where you know we're going that we go too far? So one of the commentaries we read is that you know that there's this almost fetish with black movies and black violence, and that violence becomes the star of the of the film as opposed to other things. Is there a line that you're constantly thinking about as a director, as an actor, as a writer? That you want to make sure you don't cross that line in terms of how you are portraying, particularly films uh, that involve black uh, issues and race and, and social justice issues. Uh, I, I, mean, I guess I'll jump first, but I, I don't. I I direct for me, and I write for me um, because that's all I have. And. <laughs> If someone comes up to me and has a problem with something I do, if I've written it for myself and I and and, and I have an understanding of what I'm trying to do, I can say, you may not have gotten this. It may not work for you. This was my intention, but this is what I was trying to say. Uh, to second guess yourself about what someone wants and how they're going to take it in is kind of it hurts you artistically you've got to you've got to go this is what i this this is what's working for me so i always write i write things for myself and i direct for myself and 
you know, I hope that enough people get it. But uh, if I'm if I'm if I'm going, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to do this because I think this is going to hit this or that, and then somebody has a problem with that, what the hell do I say? I thought you would like it. No. <laughs> I don't know if you like it or not. I don't care if you. I mean, I care if you like it or not. But what I care first is that I have an honest understanding of what I'm trying to do. So if you come to me with an issue, I can say, okay, maybe I maybe I missed the mark for you, but this is where I was going with it. And I have yeah, an uh, Brandon, Paula, you know, jump in there from the actor's perspective. You know, do you do you sort of look for that from a director? And do you also, you know, think about that as, as an actor as well? Not for me. Um, I, I, the best directors are the ones like Rusty who come from the Spike School where they hire capable actors that they trust and, and allow you to do your thing. And then they watch. And if you don't get it, then they may step in. Rusty or Darren would step in and have a conversation about, you know, what was going on. And because they're teachers, and and it might also be because Rusty went to um, theological school. He <laughs> He's got a little thing in there. Hey, we just got another guest Hello. joining us. Hi, London. London Brown, what up, bro? Hi, Sarah. What's going on? Hey, London, man. Maybe you can answer the question. How was working? How was Rusty's? You know, oh, no, he, he he was under Darren's tutelage. Ah, <laughs> Darren is hands on. No, I, I have directed London before, but not uh not in this last. Not in, not in town. Darren Darren's good. He's a good noter noter giver. And, and by the way, I can speak as far as from uh, the child's perspective, right? And and my mother, you know. Uh, uh, who was my manager, you know, I know for her, like, I, like the very first curse word that I had to say was in minutes, Darren. That was the very, like, I'm seven, eight years old, doing yeah, all the things you're not supposed right. to be doing, right? Drinking a beer, cursing, yep. sneaking out the house, and all of that. So, um, I know. I know you said work is fun, huh? You were like, work is fun. <laughs> right, right. I was so nervous, though. But... You know, we want, I know for, for as, a, as a child actor and, and knowing my mom, just wanted to be able to trust that what the right the director, the writers, producers were doing was protecting our best interests. Um, even though they obviously had a film to make, you still wanted to have a sense that they very much cared about the psychological and emotional welfare of, of that child. So... So, you know, London, why don't you chime in here? What was your experience like in working with Darren and, and, and Rusty? So give us a sense. Uh, well, first off, thanks for having me uh, part of this. I appreciate it. Shout out to Darren and Rusty, you guys. Brandon, just on a little perspective, bro, we got a lot of love for you for going back to Minster Society. Let me just get that out the way. Appreciate <laughs> you, man. Yeah, man, you held that down. So, but... Um, I think that uh, what, what my experience with Darren was, I felt like uh, it's always cool when when the, when the director trusts the actor uh, with their choices. And like she said, maybe come in on the app on, on on the back end, or you know, say, hey, well, why don't you give it try this option uh, this way? Um, so that was cool. I felt like uh, that. I mean, every, it was the communication was cool. And that's and that's always that's always nice where if something didn't feel right, you say okay, we'll try this way. They're really open, so that's always cool for me to uh, work with directors who are cool enough, who are not so locked in on 
you know, yeah. it's, it's not some dictator shit on set. And that makes it comfortable, at least for me. Well, that goes back to Paula saying, like, letting you do your thing, right? I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead, Darren. I think collaboration is, mm -hmm. especially collaboration with the actors, is the biggest joy in doing yeah. it. Finding it. You know, people are always asking me, uh, especially with, if they know that I've uh, <clears throat> written something. Thank you, bro, okay. and directed. What's your favorite line? What's your favorite <laughs> line? In it? And for me, it's always like, all the time, London, ad lib this. Thank you, yes, yes. Paula came up with this thing, the other right. attitude. Yeah. Because I've written the other stuff, those contributions are so fresh and exciting mm. and elevate the material so much when you have good actors who are really uh, thinking about what they're doing. They, you know, actors like these, they know more about the character than I do by the time they show up. But it's more about you as the producer director because you're the bosses. At the end of the day, we do what you tell us to do. So it's directors and, and producer directors, writers like you that allow us to be, that give you the legendary films that you make. And I don't think people understand that it's a give and take and we do get the dictators that London was talking about, that those movies don't make. A, a collaboration, a true, a true collaboration. Yes. We're going to get a, a a question from the the audience here, but I think it's powerful that you allow voice not only of the story but of the actors. So, um, so so talk about the inspiration for these horror stories. Is it historical, imaginative? What do you, how do you respond? I'm right, give me the question again. Uh, right so are there inspiration for your horror stories? Is it historical or is it strictly imagination? No, I mean, I think when you're looking at tales, you're looking at a combination of history and contemporary issues. Yeah, um, it's all of the above. It's, it's yeah, it's all. And then imagination of how you're going to how you're going to present it. Um, you know, there, there's, there's oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Somebody say something. Uh, there, I mean, there's times where you may begin with uh, a concept you're like yeah i'd like to you know there's a there's a thing like this or something out there but i would say more for tales when darren and i talk about different things that we want to do it, it it generally begins with what screwed up stuff is happening in the mm -hmm. world exactly what what do i what am i upset about what am i angry about <laughs> how can i make that hopefully entertaining while i slide in the message that i want to uh I want to add to it. We've had no shortage of inspiration over the last mm -hmm. years. Well, I actually think that horror gives you permission to go a little wild with the inspiration, yeah. right? So, yeah, so what if we were to rewrite this, you know, this lynching so that the outcome was something different? What if we were to rewrite this? That horror mm -hmm. kind of gives you a, a, a free pass mm -hmm. to, to maybe even say, let's, let's, pull Emmett Teal from history into inspiration and let history and inspiration have a conversation. Right? Nice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, you can, you can steal that. You ain't got to quote me. You can just take that. It's already been stolen. <laughs> Don't worry, Audrey. We going to get ours. I'm going to make sure we get ours. You going to write and direct. I'll be right here. We're right here. 
We're gonna let this boys uh club right here. All right, Colin has a question. Let's uh let's see what question uh uh give it to us. All right. All right, so how did the anthology format get decided upon? And uh were were any of the tales treatments for features uh for, for feature length movies? Hmm, interesting. Uh, there are there are some tale stories that could potentially be feature <laughs> feature length movies, but I think we just started with the anthology thing from the beginning yeah. um, because you know maybe because there was a lot of things that we wanted to say. I can't, <laughs> I can't yeah. recall, uh, but yeah, it, the the tales has always been an anthology. Though I would say there there are episodes that sometimes we go, oh, well, the, you know maybe this could be something longer and it's, you know, trying to figure out how to tighten it up. But the great yeah. thing about an anthology is you can, uh, a shorter, the great thing about a shorter story is you can be very surgical uh, and you, you're not dealing with crazy second acts where you're dragging uh, storylines that may or may not have strong purpose to what you're trying to do. Yeah. So, you know, a, an anthology, a short story is a lot like telling a joke. You have a setup, you got a little bit of something there, and then you have a punchline that, that, that encapsulates what you're trying to say. Now, like 15 minutes long a piece, or how, how do you, is it different timing? Based There's on different what? times, everywhere from. So here, I'm gonna give you unlimited. I'm gonna give you unlimited budget. Which which scene from Tales One would you make feature length? I'm giving you unlimited Ooh. budget to get it done. Y'all tell me which scene from Tales One would you want to see? In hey, that's cold. That's, that's, cold. that's a great question. Wow. Yes. Um, it, it for me, it would be a toss up between uh, the the tale that uh, Paula and Brandon were in and uh, the Crazy K tale. Yeah, because yeah. I think both of those those stories have the opportunity uh, have have characters that you can add depth to. Yeah, which is what right. you need if you're doing a longer. I could see us being Bates Motel. You growing up to be a cuckoo bar, you know. Darren was on the You could do a, a good, a nice back and forth history and then current to sort of really fill in, you know, wow. here's what happens in people's histories that really drives forward to right. sort of current challenges for that. So yeah, you're right. You, 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 could, you can make that happen. With that. Yeah. yeah. To be and to be honest with, with that idea, what's interesting what's interesting and sad is that really the only thing that's kind of changed are the costumes. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's really about the only thing I mean we some some rags for you know, slavery period or a, right. a, a suit. If you want to go into the, you know, to the civil rights era, bottoms, and then we go into some khakis now. So it's kind of like oh, I'm an Afro. That's the only thing. And sidebar, um, I probably should have did the, I should have did the, the, the woman first. But just made a shout out to uh, to you, Miss Parker, as well. Oh, just. And I know the race too. What a gentleman! Again, I acknowledge because I never had a chance. You know, growing up, you see these folks, 
and you, you be like, you know, so it's just nice to just say connect and just give them their flowers, like, yo, absolutely. Uh, but, but I feel like you, you just, we just, you thought we knew each other. That's how I did take it. Like, I didn't, <laughs> yeah, I, I, like, like, I, I like to do that. I like to give it up. I don't have no problem giving it up. I said, yo. And yeah. I'm learning to say thank you. I humbly say thank you. But it's funny though, it, it, to, to Rusty's point about that, like I often get asked as if I have the answer, what happened to Walter? <laughs> like I don't know. Like they always ask me, so what happened to your mom and Walter? Did, did your mom and the teacher hook up? And did, I'm like, they're asking me questions that I possibly could not know, you know? But people are often uh, curious what, yeah, what happened to, to so Walter, but I, I agree with you that that not just because I was in it, but to see like child abuse and spousal abuse, uh, mm-hmm. like on a platform like that, mm-hmm. like it was just amazing, like mm-hmm. to, to see that um, um, dealt it's with. It's too, baby. Like yes, we don't talk yeah. about the child abuse as much. Right, right. Mm-hmm. We don't. We don't. Particularly within Black families, right? We don't talk yes. about mm-hmm. mental health. We don't talk about abuse. It's a whole oh, bunch of stuff yes. we don't talk exactly. about, right? Exactly. Oh, we got a question about Clarence, uh, Clarence Williams' question next. Ah, uh, what was it like working with Clarence ah. Williams? <laughs> um, amazing. <laughs> I mean, Clarence was, uh, and everyone in the everyone in the Tales cast was awesome. But but Clarence was just special. Um. You know, he different. When, he when different. See, <laughs> yeah, when you see what he brought to that character, you know, I there's things that he did that that I, you know, I didn't tell him to do. I didn't ask him to do. He found it kind of within himself, and you know, we would talk about the costume and this, that, and the other. And he he was also probably of all the actors I've ever worked with one of the most serious people uh, <laughs> about his craft and how he approached the process that I've ever met yeah. in my life. No I, doubt. I, I'm grateful that he was, I got to. I'm grateful that he was open and I'm, and, and I'm, I'm glad that I wasn't intimidated by it because he, he doesn't, he doesn't take things lightly. So when you're talking to him about something, he he he's like, "Well, Mr. Cundiff, Mr. Cundiff, how, how do you see this?" I see, and and you know, <laughs> he, right there, there's no, you know, he he's he's very old school in how he approaches his work. There's no joking around, though. The character is crazy and yes. hilarious. And hilarious. What's keeping but his intensity? I mean, his level of intensity as an actor has to be where I, I can't even imagine being on set and and you're not paying attention to anything else. You're just so drawn in to that intensity. He's a human special effect. Uh, yes. I, I already told that story, Darren. Oh, shoot. <laughs> Why is he from that? Can you talk about that? What's keeping him from? doing it does he just not look back because i know he played my father and sprung so you know i know he loves you guys well we we did we did something else with him and we've tried to get him back he's just gotten older and he, he, he's, 
you know, he's, uh, I just think, I just think he's at an age where he's like, you know, my body of work is, is what it is. Okay. Um, I have a Clarence story, by the way. I want one. Right yeah, yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Sorry, Ty. So, <laughs> well, I hope, look, forgive me, Clarence, if you, if you do watch this. <laughs> oh, uh -oh. So, I worked with him again in a, on a, another film years later uh, called Blue Hill Avenue. And so, I, the word that I was immediately thinking, Rusty, when, when they were like, how is it work with him, is intimidating and intense, right? The two eyes. So we were, and when you talk about the seriousness of your craft, we were doing a scene and someone's cell phone goes off in the middle of a take. No. Mm. No. When I say he lit into the entire crew, like, and it, might, it wasn't even like everyone, it was just like one person forgot to turn off their, and it was just like, oops. It was just the most Whoa. intense moment. And I was so frightened. I'm 16, by the way. Yes. So I was so afraid. But then when all was said and done, it's, hey, nice, nice working with you. It's very yes. just yeah. like, almost like it didn't That's happen. It almost like that was that moment. He compartmentalized it for that yes. moment. And that was it. But yes. when I say he lit into the entire Higher oh, crew, like it was like I think everybody ended up leaving their phones like in the trailer. Like after that, like nobody wanted to have at a home at home. Right? It was like so definitely intense. Like he's not playing. He's not he's playing. Not playing. Ooh, yeah. In the middle cold. of the take, yes. In the middle of the take, he was just yes. I will also say this about Clarence. Uh, I would talk to him after the movie we would talk every now and then and he would call me out of the blue and he would call and say mr condiff and i say hey, what's up clarence i feel bad i just call him clarence i say hey what's up <laughs> he would be watching uh c-span and he, he's a big political junkie wow. but he would only watch c-span because they weren't talking heads he's like i like to get it i like to get exactly what the people are saying on the floor I don't want to hear somebody else's interpretation of it. I'm going to listen to it. So he would watch C-SPAN all day long. And, and then I remember I would run into him at clubs and, and restaurants. Clubs. And, and his attitude, even in the club, was intense. He would be in a club in these dark shades. What club, he would just be sitting there. <laughs> Like this. <laughs> and you go up and you say, Hey, I love Clarence, him. how are you doing? Now. I'm good, Mr. Cunniff. How are you? <laughs> Did you order a drink? <laughs> <laughs> you want a cigar? Hands <laughs> willing to throw in the club. In the club. No. Yeah. Oh, he was okay. He wasn't a dancer. He didn't talk to anybody. He would just, he would just be chilling. It's, now, it's, I haven't talked to any older actors that said that, you know, they, they would hang out with him. It was a different vibe. But yeah, he's amazing. He's an amazing, yeah. uh, interesting individual. He's yeah. just super intense, dude. I love him. I love him. Uh, a legend, a legend for sure. Like a hey, we got a uh, we got a question here for London. So let, let's looks like a question for London popped up on my. Uh, let's see it. Hey, London, I have a question. Uh, yeah. How did you approach coming into Tales Three? Meaning, you know, Tales from the Hood had been, you know, a, a seminal film. 
how did you feel coming into this third installment? Did you go back and watch it? Like, how did you, what did you want to bring to it? And, and, and how did you prepare? Uh, my main thing was, well, the, at least in the hood, that first one was, it's just one of those, that is one of those classics. That's tells in the hood. That, that first one is up there in that conversation with the Fridays, with the Minister societies, because we hadn't, at least I don't really recall seeing the thing that makes the, te- the first Southern Hood dope is because it wasn't a black version of white scary movies. Mm. It was a real black reality to it. So it was different because the, the whole thing too is that because some people say, man, we need to see more uh, black people in horror films. But if I feel like if writers try to create black versions of white horror films, they're not going to. There's going to be a disconnect because we don't. We don't approach fear the same way. But black people live on a regular basis mm-hmm. like on a defense. We're always on the alert. Wow. So there's no way we would even. And then we we live on the alert and very guarded. And then two, most black people, not all, but most black people have some sort of connection to something spiritual anyway. Mm-hmm. So it, the dichotomy between the ideas would be totally interesting. When we came here on a slave ship, let's start there. We we just strong folk, you know. We, we made that journey. Those of us that made the journey. It's a, wow. it's a whole other. It's, I mean, it's some it's some it's a societal of things that go into it. But my point is, is that my whole thing with uh, even saying yes to the project, I just wanted to do something different from the from the series that I had just finished, and I just you know I just wanted. to what was that? What series? Ballers. Ballers. Oh, yeah, London Ballers. <laughs> so I was like, man, let me just, especially this early on, it's important to create that, get, get the palette open and, and, and explore that stuff now so I don't get kind of grouped into anything. But the, the, the one thing I will say that was interesting for me about this project was um, just the reactionary stuff. You got a crew of whatever it is, and you just hear Darren run. Jump, okay, scream. Like, and it's like, it, it, and sometimes the the amount of like it may be like maybe like under ten feet, and I gotta be, I would have had to be run like three floors, but the shot is taking place in ten feet, so I gotta create three stories of, of energy of exhaustion, happily exhaustion in ten feet, and then it's like cut, and then everybody's back and they're having coffee and thing, and I'm breathing hard, and it's a retake. So just some of those technical things of needing to escape into this, into this place is always interesting for me uh, or was interesting for me. So, I mean, I just tried to just be present. I don't know. It's as best I could do that. I don't, I, I didn't. You I, did a great job, man. I can't say that I went back to anything and, and I'm not, I'm not that, at least in this project, I wasn't like number one on the call sheet. So I can't go back and be watching the tapes. So I ain't at that place. Yet, so I got to just. I think number one get to do all that. You know, I, I tell you I, something though, man. Not all the time. Uh, this was I know, I know, a right? rare, a rare picture for me. In that, when I talked to the casting director, uh, she said, "Well, who do you think uh, is right for this part?" I said, "Well, I've been watching this show, Ballers, and there's a, a guy on there, London Brown. Let's try to get him." And he accepted it. Oh, thank and you, And the man. same thing well, with Lynn Whitfield. I was like, Lynn Whitfield would be perfect for this. 
so they went there and they accepted it. Uh, that never happens, or especially when you don't have a lot of, you know, uh, budget, of a huge budget. <laughs> it's it it like, okay, here's a person, I, and you know, you get to the sixth, seventh, eighth, tenth person on your list, and maybe, well, <laughs> maybe you get I'm it. Sorry, am I upstaging what you're saying? I'm just trying to give a little visual. That's, cool. That's, That's, a lot. Lot. That's all right. On, on That's all right. Three, I got who I wanted, so. That's uh, awesome. That, that means you're doing the right thing when you fall into place that like that. That's God. It Thank is. You. But you know what? I hate I hate to do this, but we we are at nine o'clock, and so I'm gonna let Rusty are you kidding have me? the. I'm not kidding. I'm gonna let Rusty have the last word. But let me thank our our host from the George A. Romero Foundation. You guys rock. Um, let me also thank the Thanks, University man. of Pittsburgh Honors Class College for sponsoring this. You know, Rusty, you got a lot of you got a lot of accolades on uh, on your resume. I'm gonna add another one. You are a treasure, man. You are absolutely a treasure. And it was just, you know, this has been such a thrill. Thank you, Miss Audrey. I'd like to thank you. You're a phenomenal hostess, Miss Audrey. And and you mentioned yeah. that two of you grew up in Pittsburgh during the same time. Did you guys know each other? Was he a popular no, I, guy? I I grew up in Chicago, and actually, where okay. I live now is a couple of doors down from where Rusty grew up. I, you know, we we were in the same neighborhood. I joined the I same. Actually, Rusty's sister was uh, uh was in my class, uh, you know, when I was teaching in the oh, MBA wow. program. So she was one of my students, and I've just been a, a longtime fan. And so this is like on the top two coolest things I've gotten to do, other than wow. seeing Stevie oh. Wonder live in concert. You're number two, man. I just want you to know. <laughs> Okay, Matt, are we worthy of the horror fest com, the horror coms yet? Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, you guys, you guys would draw at a convention. I, I trust me. You guys, if you showed up at a convention, you guys would have lines. So hopefully, you guys, when we can get out of this social distancing environment and can handshake and hug and take selfies, I'd love to see you guys at a show. I would definitely be there for you guys. It'll be awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, yeah, Matt and Eric, for having me on, and Audrey. Thank you, guys, for having me on, and Rusty. For Absolutely. And Darren, but you know, both of you for giving me like one of my first opportunities, man. And um, you know, Tells is just really one of the greatest working experiences of my career, uh, and I'm so appreciative of it. And like London said, it's a classic. You know, it, thank it, it, you. Man. Man. Thank you. All right, Rusty, Rusty, you get the last word, man. Get the last word. All right. So I'm going to say thank you to Eric and Matt and you, Audrey, for putting all this together. It's really, uh, really great to get a little bit of attention from the hometown. And uh, congratulations on uh, Pitt's new program that is really focusing on horror and how it deals with uh, social issues. I think that's fantastic. Oh, that's uh, great. To Paul, well, to Darren, who I've collaborated with, thank you, we talk all the time, but he knows how much uh, I appreciate it. Or maybe he doesn't, I don't know, uh, but I did. He wrote me a real uh, nice letter the other day. <laughs> and Paula, uh, uh, London, and my man, Brandon, thank you guys for showing up. I think David tried to get in and couldn't. David, you're out there. Thanks, man. Uh, but you guys, 
it, it, it's so much about what actors bring to it. So I, I want to thank you for your participation in the in the films and what you brought to it. Uh, London, uh, you did great in this, this last one. You'll see I'm it. That. Paula, you were Rock and Brandon, just one of the greatest little dudes of all time. And it's now a big wow. giant. <laughs> Um, Thank you, Rusty. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you got you guys have done great. And then the other thing that I would say is to uh, whoever's out there watching, um, check out Tales Three, where we appreciate your following the the series and uh, your your enthusiasm for what comes up next. Um, it's what keeps us excited to to want to do more. Um, there's, there's, there's tons out there, so I, I thank you for that. Um, and uh, go to Sci-Fi. Enjoy seeing Tales from the Hood 3 on Sci-Fi. It should be starting right about now. And then get the Blu-ray. Trust me, my deal isn't good enough for me to make much money off the Blu-rays, but you should get the Blu-ray. <laughs> get the Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> the universe doesn't give me anything much off the Blu-rays, but get the Blu-ray. You'll see some stuff on there that you don't see on Sci-Fi. Uh, you'll hear all the dirty words that you can't hear, and you'll see some sexual activity that you can't see. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you guys very much. Yeah, get, grab the Blu-ray. Grab the, gra like grab the Blu-ray. What's that girl who promised sexual activity? <laughs> no, grab, grab the Blu-ray. Um, Paula, I, Paula, I just got to say, I loved you in phone booth. I, I've been wanting to say that all night. Um, great. Always made me chuckle every time I watch that movie. Um, love it. Um, you know, Brandon, thanks for jumping in last minute. Seriously, Absolutely. London, thank you so much for for joining us. Um, Darren, Rusty, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor. Audrey, you were fantastic. It was it was just an absolute great, joy. He's great. Yes, let's give it up for Audrey. Yeah. She carried the show. One thing to Audrey, Audrey, we got to get you some more experiences because if I'm second after Stevie Wonder, you know, you know, Rusty, I'll roll with you. you know, I'll roll with you, Rusty. I really will. Okay. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you, everybody, and we want to remind everybody to get over to uh, Bye, get, yeah. films because yes. now they're just films. And get over to Sci-Fi and check out Tales Three right now. Yep, right. go check Thanks it out. Keep in touch, man. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yes, Brandon. I got that hookup for you, boo. I got the hookup for you. <laughs> All right. Like Good night, girl. everybody. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night.